TII item 383, February 21st, 2016, Apple v. FBI, as if I had a choice. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Golly! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of who I am. This episode of Today in iOS is brought to you by Harry's.com, where you can use promo code TII to save $5 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Bowl and Branch. Visit bowlandbranch.com and use promo code TII to save 20% off your order and to get free shipping. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Jimmy for sending in the music here in the background. Jimmy wrote, Hi, Rob. Here's a song called Somewhere Near Her. This is a fairly sparse piece. Only two guitar tracks played on my 2004 Gibson 57 gold top reissue Les Paul into an Apogee jam and directly into GarageBand on my iPad. What I find really cool about this recording is how sweet sounding the guitar amp models are in GarageBand. Just a little tweaking will render some great, very usable tones. Anyway, hope you and the listeners enjoy. Best regards, Jimmy in Mississippi. Well, thanks, Jimmy, for the music. And folks, I will put the full song at the end of the episode. Also want to thank Alex for sending in the artwork for today's show, Alex wrote the following. Hi, Rob. I was walking around San Francisco, Chinatown, and saw a restaurant named TII. I couldn't resist but make artwork for your awesome show. I used the Pixelmator app to crop and add text and then added Andromeda Galaxy on top using Alien Sky app. Regards, Alex from Walnut Creek, California. Thanks, Alex, for sending in this artwork. And folks, you can see Alex's artwork in the free TI app via the bonus button for episode 383 or at Instagram.com slash Today and iOS, and also as a standalone post in the VIP section, and at Facebook.com slash Today and iOS. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please mail it to me at todayandios at gmail.com, and please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote, quote, As a value investor, I strongly believe in BlackBerry's future because the company has several advantages, such as the security, the Q10, and the corporate world. Unquote. Gillian Moyen, Seeking Alpha, 28th of April, 2013. Security? Did you say security? Oh, don't go there. And saying you believed in BlackBerry's future in April, 2013? Oh my... As I said before, Seeking Alpha really should be called Seeking Intelligence. Just saying. For promo codes on episode 382, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the app Loopersonic, one word. If you're interested in this app or want more info, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 382. This week, we have promo codes for the app Roco Motion, one word. Here is the review from the dev. Hi, I'm the developer of Roco Motion an app which lets you control one or more Roku streaming TV media players on your network from your iPhone or Apple Watch. The latest iPhone version now has all the buttons you find on the remote control, plus conveniences like keyboard entry, an installed app chooser, and a way to name multiple Roku boxes. The included Apple Watch companion gives you basic functionality so that you can stop and start a video or navigate around directly from your wrist. 
Once you've tried it, please remember to leave an honest review for Roku Motion or any app mentioned on TII. Why fumble in the dark for your remote? Come on, do the Roku Motion. Well, thanks to the dev for their review of their app, Roku Motion, and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com, put Rocomotion one word in the subject line. A quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment for free. We just need five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com, and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. Also, when you send in the promo codes, Please make sure to let me know when they expire. To start this episode, we are going to get into a subject topic item that seems to be very polarizing and well, all talked about all over the place. I've come across some strong and sometimes very flawed arguments from both sides, but I will do my best to present info and opinions from both camps and, of course, some of your thoughts as well. This also has caused this episode to have been delayed quite a few days, and um, there were multiple dozens of articles that I had to read for this. This is, of course, about the Apple v. FBI story that's been all over the news. If you're not familiar with the story, which I guess is possible, it is either that the FBI is forcing Apple to create a backdoor that will eventually destroy our privacy and civil liberties and be used by evil regimes to subjugate the masses, or it is the FBI asking for a harmless one-time, one-use tool to get into an iPhone used by a terrorist that killed 14 Americans. Again, depending on who you are and how you look at this. This whole issue came to a head early last week when a judge ruled that Apple must create a tool to allow the unlocking of an iPhone used by one of the San Bernardino shooters, an iPhone that was running iOS 9. That ruling was then followed by a letter from Tim Cook and Apple about why they can't and will not do what they were asked to do. Let's start this with reading the full letter from Apple. As I'm guessing, many have not read the full letter yet. This was published by Apple on February 16th, 2016, and it's titled, A Message to Our Customers. Quote, The United States government has demanded that Apple take an unprecedented step which threatens the security of our customers. We oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand. This moment calls for public discussion, and we want our customers and people around the country to understand what is at stake. Smartphones, led by iPhone, have become an essential part of our lives. People use them to store an incredible amount of personal information, from our private conversations to our photos, our music, our notes, our calendars, and contacts, our financial information and health data, even where we have been and where we are going. All that information needs to be protected from hackers and criminals who want access to access it, steal it, and use it without our knowledge or permission. Customers expect Apple and other technology companies to do everything in our power to protect their personal information. And at Apple, we are deeply committed to safeguarding their data. Compromising the security of our personal information can ultimately put our personal safety at risk. That is why encryption has become so important to all of us. For many years, we have used encryption to protect our customers' personal data because we believe it's the only way to keep their information safe. We have even put that data out of our own reach because we believe the contents of your iPhone are none of our business. 
We were shocked and outraged by the deadly act of terrorism in San Bernardino last December. We mourn the loss of life and want justice for all those whose lives were affected. The FBI asked us for help in the days following the attack, and we have worked hard to support the government's effort to solve this horrible crime. We have no sympathy for terrorists. When the FBI has requested data that's in our possession, we have provided it. Apple complies with valid subpoenas and search warrants, as we have in the San Bernardino case. We have also made Apple engineers available to advise the FBI, and we've offered our best ideas on a number of investigative options at their disposal. We have great respect for the professionals at the FBI, and we believe their intentions are good. Up to this point, we have done everything that is both within our power and within the law to help them. But now the U.S. government has asked us for something we simply do not have and something we consider too dangerous to create. They have asked us to build a backdoor to the iPhone. Specifically, the FBI wants us to make a new version of the iPhone operating system, circumventing several important security features, and install it on an iPhone recovered during the investigation. In the wrong hands, this software, which does not exist today, would have the potential to unlock any iPhone in someone's physical possession. The FBI may use different words to describe this tool, but make no mistake, building a version of iOS that bypasses security in this way would undeniably create a backdoor. And while the government may argue that its use would be limited to this case, there is no way to guarantee such control. Some would argue that building a backdoor for just one iPhone is a simple, clean-cut solution, but it ignores both the basics of digital security and the significance of what the government is demanding in this case. In today's digital world, the key to an encrypted system is a piece of information that unlocks the data, and it is only as secure as the protections around it. Once the information is known or a way to bypass the code is revealed, the encryption can be defeated by anyone with that knowledge. The government suggests this tool could be only be used once on one phone, but that's simply not true. Once created, the technique could be used over and over and over again on any number of devices. In the physical world, it would be the equivalent of a master key capable of opening hundreds of millions of locks. From restaurants and banks to stores and homes, no reasonable person would find that acceptable. The government is asking Apple to hack our own users and undermine decades of security advancements that protect our customers, including tens of millions of American citizens from sophisticated hackers and cybercriminals. The same engineers who built strong encryption into the iPhone to protect our users would ironically be ordered to weaken those protections and make our users less safe. We can find no precedent for an American company being forced to expose its customers to a greater risk of attack. For years, cryptologists and national security experts have been warning against weakening encryption. Doing so would hurt only the well-meaning and law-abiding citizens who rely on companies like Apple to protect their data. Criminals and bad actors will still encrypt using tools that are readily available to them. Rather than asking for legislative action through Congress, the FBI is proposing an unprecedented use of the All Writs Act of 1789 to justify an expansion of its authority. The government would have us remove security features and add new capabilities to the operating system, allowing a passcode to be input electronically. 
This would make it easier to unlock the iPhone by brute force, trying thousands or millions of combinations with the speed of a modern computer. The implications of the government's demands are chilling. If the government can use the All Writs Act to make it easier to unlock your iPhone, it would have the power to reach into anyone's device to capture their data. The government could extend this breach of privacy and demand that Apple build surveillance software to intercept your messages, access your health records or financial data, track your location, or even access your phone's microphone or camera without your knowledge. Opposing this order is not something we take lightly. We feel we must speak up in the face of what we see as an overreach by the U.S. government. We are challenging the FBI's demands with the deepest respect for American democracy and a love of our country. We believe it would be in the best interest of everyone to step back and consider the implications. While we believe the FBI's intentions are good, it would be wrong for the government to force us to build a backdoor into our products. And ultimately, we feel that this demand would undermine the very freedoms and liberties our government is meant to protect. Tim Cook. Unquote. And again, that was the full letter from Tim Cook and Apple. Here's some of the initial feedback about that letter from the TII community. From Tosin O, quote, For the benefit of those who feel Apple is going too far in the refusal of the court FBI's demands, I wouldn't have thought any on this forum would argue in the FBI's favor, given our understanding of how Apple works and their commitment to privacy. Check out Apple's open customer letter. I think this is the reason why we pay seven to 800 pounds buying these devices rather than settling for cheaper alternatives with doubtful scruples, my take on this issue, unquote. From Haltel, quote, very strongly but well-written letter, I sympathize with everyone involved but wholeheartedly agree with Apple's stance on this, unquote. From Myron Yu, quote, here's my take on this. Theoretically, Apple could build a backdoor into iOS that allows them through a special process to gain access to the underlying data or even remove the passcode from the device. They could make that process extremely secure so that it's highly unlikely that it could be done through any means other than their own equipment. I can even imagine ways they could design a multi-step process that would be a very difficult to break. However, we already know that the jailbreak community is cunning enough to figure out backdoors into iOS that allows a jailbreak to happen. Any team smart enough to do that could figure out how Apple's backdoor works and repeat their exploit. No matter how good it is, encryption can be broken, and any process that lets you into a device, no matter how challenging and protected you make it, will allow a hacker to repeat it. Personally, I'm very happy Apple is going to great lengths to protect my device from hackers. I'm even more impressed that they are willing to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. Of course, this is also great for marketing because Apple can tell the world they are willing to fight for our security, unquote. From Karthik M. They're, quote, they're taking this too far. I believe Apple should cooperate with the FBI, national security first. Who cares about the privacy of those terrorists, unquote. From Dave T, quote, if any phone company makes phones with backdoor access to each owner's personal information, people will just not buy those phones. It's as simple to understand as that. I agree with Myron. I don't have anything to hide except my liberty. Taking 
away my liberty is not the purpose of the state. It should be to protect my liberty. So asking a manufacturer to hack their users is anti-democratic. It forces the makers into a position of collaborating with whoever wants to use this information. Right now, it's all about those people and the bad guys. But we all know when there is no more civil liberty, then the state gets to decide who is the good and who is the bad. Once you build a backdoor, you can't go back. It's important to defend the rights of individuals to choose the way they want to live their lives in a free society. I hope all makers of phones will step up and declare the protection of individual rights in the face of pressure to erode those protections. The road to heck, it is often said, is paved with good intentions. If Americans want to force all their phone makers out of business, all they have to do is force them to make them less secure and people will flee those products. It's not just that Apple thinks it can win, but it's that Apple is hoping this makes sense to all the tech companies out there who are handling people's personal data. There's some data which is public, and your behavior in public is restricted by various regulations and legal precedents, but on your own property you have rights, in your home you have other rights, and with respect to information you choose to protect with encryption, you should also have the same rights. Europe and Asia may have other legacy issues with their own governments and traditions. Each will have to struggle to ensure those governments don't abuse their privilege to oppress the populations. In the U.S. and some other places, the protection of the individual and their respective rights is enshrined in a constitution document which the police, the state, and the courts are sworn to uphold. These constitutions are there to protect people from their government gone mad. Perhaps we have reached this moment. Unquote. Hi, Rob. A highly polarizing topic. I'm interested to hear, read, what your international audience has to say about this. Cheers, Dr. John M. Also coming in on Apple's side in this battle are the CEOs of Google and WhatsApp. Google CEO Sundar Pichai, via Twitter, warned that compliance with, court, with the court order could compromise a user's privacy. And looks, folks, when Google talks about compromising a user's privacy, well, they kind of are experts in that field. Here is what Sundar said, quote, We know that law enforcement and intelligence agencies face significant challenges in protecting the public against crime and terrorism. We build secure products to keep your information safe, and we give law enforcement access to data based on valid legal orders. But that's wholly different than requiring companies to enable hacking of customers' devices and data could be a troubling precedent, unquote. WhatsApp CEO Jan Calm said the following, quote, I've always admired Tim Cook for his stance on privacy and Apple's efforts to protect users' data and couldn't agree more with everything said in their customer letter today. We must not allow this dangerous precedent to be set. Today, our freedom and our liberty is at stake, unquote. Now, some not on Apple's side. Pretty much, um, that would be all the Republican candidates for president and an old Hillary Clinton But the new Hillary Clinton on Thursday said she would not pick a side, which also is the same stance as Bernie Sanders. I would like to do a little history lesson here. Apple has, since the iPhone was released, been helping law enforcement officials 
get data off of iPhones when asked by the Justice Department. With iOS 7 and earlier versions of iOS, the level of encryption, or lack thereof, made it such that Apple could easily and quickly reply to these requests. Apple even claims in the first half of 2015, Apple provided data for more than 3,000 law enforcement requests. But again, these are for devices running iOS 7 or older versions. Then, in mid-2015, Apple changed their stance and said no to a request to get data off an iPhone 5S running iOS 7 that belonged to a drug dealer per a case in Brooklyn, New York. Apple said, quote, We're being forced to become an agent of law enforcement. Customer data is under siege from a variety of different directions. Never has the privacy and security of customer data been as important as it is now, unquote. And really, with iOS 8 and later, Apple looked at this issue of getting data almost moot as well, as if iPhone was set up correctly, Apple cannot get the data, and they stated that point to the law enforcement agencies. New York authorities alone claim that they have been locked out of 175 iPhones in cases they are currently pursuing. But back to Apple saying no to the case of the drug dealer in New York. I'm not alleged either drug dealer because the person is already pleaded guilty. It seems the stance Apple took made it such that it was just a matter of time before the government was going to pick a juicy case to go after Apple with. And nothing is more juicy and PR cringing than one involving ISIS terrorists and dead Americans. Note, prior to the December shooting, Tim Cook described data privacy as a human's rights issue and that if Apple designed a way to defeat encryption for the U.S. government, that tool would be exploited by hackers and other foreign governments like China. The Justice Department, under Eric Holder, was actually sympathetic to that point of view, even when pressed by an aggressive stance uh, from the FBI director, Comey. And of course, the NSA and criminal prosecutors throughout the U.S. argued for a court order or act of Congress forcing Apple to crack their encryption and provide a backdoor. When Attorney General Loretta Lynch took over from Eric Holder, the Justice Department switched their sympathies to those with the FBI. And then, well, the shooting happened in December. And we should point out, Apple still gives advice and consults on how to get data off iPhones and has done so even in this case with the San Bernardino shooters. The FBI has also clearly decided to make this whole thing a battle of he said, she said. On Friday, the government urged a federal judge to immediately compel Apple to comply with the court order to build a tool to crack their encryption, which we should point out Apple has never even said such a tool is possible. The government argued that Apple appears more concerned with marketing strategy than national security. In a move which appears to be aimed as much at public opinion as the judge, the filing submitted to the government argued Apple's refusal to comply with per the letter I read earlier from Tim Cook, quote, appears to be based on its concern for its business model and public brand marketing strategy, not a legal rationale, unquote. The filing states that Apple Tech told investigators they could write software the FBI wants to unlock Farouk's phone, and that Apple conceded that it had the technical ability to help, but that their public statements have been misleading. In a conference call with reporters, senior Apple execs speaking on a condition that they not be identified or quoted 
said the government's motion was designed to get media attention and describe the FBI's request as overreaching by the government. I do, though, have to ask this. Why would Apple have a conference call with reporters if they did not want to be quoted? So exactly how did that call go? I mean, maybe this is a good reenactment. Okay, thanks to all of you that tell the world everything for being on the call today. We're going to tell you a bunch of stuff. Just don't do your job and tell anyone. Hmm. That said, Ryan Callow, a law professor at the University of Washington and an expert on privacy law, said the following. Quote, In the court of public opinion, a dead terrorist whose phone might have connections to more terrorists is pretty attractive from the standpoint of the pro- of prosecution. But the legal question is not made easier because of that. No court has ruled on whether a tech company should be forced to find a way around its own security features. What is being asked to be done here on the scale of things is pretty invasive. They are asking for a lot, not a little. Unquote. Apple, of course, says if you're going to make this a he said, she said battle with the public, fine. Then let's talk about how you guys botched this case already by changing the iCloud password. Dole! See, the iPhone in this case is not a personal phone of the shooter, but a county-owned phone. (laughs) Apple execs claim there was a lost opportunity to get into the shooter's iCloud account. They said the iCloud iCloud password was changed hours after the shooting, preventing a potential iCloud backup that may have revealed further info. And it has been confirmed that, yes, San Bernardino County had reset the iCloud password at the FBI's request and prior to the FBI's consultation with Apple. Oh, double dough. The phone had been doing weekly backups on iCloud with the last backup to iCloud done six weeks prior to the shooting, and there is no way to know if the shooter had turned off auto backups or if his account had hit the the storage limit. Apple says the data that the FBI is trying to get may have been retrievable by them on their own had they not had the county change the password. This changing of the password may be important in this case, as the implications are it may have damaged the government's case against Apple to build a tool. Well, at least that is how Apple clearly will play this. And again, most reports in most articles are that there may not be any solid legal ground for the government to stand on per forcing Apple to crack its products. The FBI downplayed the effect of the action, however, stating that the reset does not impact Apple's ability to assist with the court order under the All Writs Act, and adding that the government objective was and still is to extract as much evidence as possible from the phone. As an FYI, in October 2015, a federal judge in New York said the government was overstepping its boundaries by using the centuries-old law, the All Writs Act, as a basis for its request that Apple open up the iPhone for the drug dealer's case mentioned previously. And from a story on BuzzFeed, Quote, asked why Apple is pushing back so hard against this particular FBI request when it has assisted the agency in the past, Apple executives noted that the San Bernardino case is fundamentally different from others in which it was involved. 
Apple has never before been asked to build an entirely new version of its iOS operating system designed to disable iPhone security measures. The Apple senior executives also pushed back on the government's argument that Apple's actions were a marketing ploy, saying they were instead based on their love for the country and desire not to see civil liberties tossed aside, unquote. Mm. We should again point out that Apple did work with the FBI on the iPhone used by the shooter in San Bernardino and sent their experts to help on this and gather as much data as possible. But when the FBI wanted unspecified info on the phone that had not been backed up, a judge earlier this week granted an order requiring Apple to create a special tool, i.e. backdoor, to help investigators more easily crack the iPhone's passcode. Ironically, it appears Apple had asked the FBI to issue its application for said tool under seal, but the government made made it public, and that prompted the letter from Tim Cook that I read earlier. I say ironically, they asked for it under seal because of all the candidates to talk about this, Governor Kasich from Ohio said this is something that should have been handled secretly and basically behind closed doors. So he's actually the only one that kind of agreed with Apple in that this shouldn't have ever been made public to start with. One of the articles I read that really drove home some good points was one in the New York Times titled, In the Government versus Apple, Who Wears the Black Hat? I want to read the beginning of the article. Quote, Shouldn't the government have more legal and moral authority to weigh complicated issues of privacy and national security than a company that makes phones? It should. After all, nobody ever elected Tim Cook, Apple's chief executive, to public office. The legal case seems clear enough. The FBI has a warrant. Mr. Farouk is dead, and his iPhone, which he used for work, is a property of San Bernardino County, which consented to having it searched. The data on the phone could yield valuable intelligence, making its content a legitimate matter of national security. Apple had obeyed a demand to provide the government with information in Mr. Farouk's iCloud account, but then it was asked to undermine the iPhone security system so the FBI could try as many passcodes as possible to open the phone without erasing the stored data. Apple refused. Unquote. The author goes on to point out some of the U.S. government's actions as revealed by Edward Snowden really have shown some of, let's call it, questionable actions the U.S. government was engaged in, such as getting access to the Google and Yahoo data centers. And um, he goes on to point out the obvious that if a tool is created and it is and it's kind of opening a Pandora's box that can't be closed no matter how well-intentioned the government may be in this case. And he finishes up with this paragraph. Quote, But the current choice is between a government that doesn't seem to recognize limits to its own power to access personal information and a technology company that does. It's a bad choice, but an obvious one. While nobody elected Mr. Cook to protect our privacy, we should be glad someone is, unquote. Peter Bergen, a CNN national security analyst, presents this possible point of view on Apple v. FBI, which is that Apple is only digging in their heels now because of fear of losing customers. 
who could perceive them as in bed with the FBI, NSA, CIA, and other governments around the world. We are talking tens of billions of dollars in sales revenue that could be lost along with obviously losing market share to non-American tech companies, ones that would not be at the bidding of the FBI and NSA and CIA. It should also be pointed out that ISIS's key social media encrypted platform is Telegram, which is created by German-based tech company and is not at all under U.S. regulations. Some other thoughts on the precedent that would be set if Apple is forced to comply with this court order comes from Kevin Bankston, director of the Open Tech Institute, who said, quote, this isn't about one iPhone. If this precedent gets set, it will spell digital disaster for the trustworthiness of any and every device. Potentially any software vendor could be forced to update any device with malware, unquote. Matthew Green, a cryptographer and John Hopkins professor, asked, quote, if you're content with the U.S. government dictating the iPhone's encryption, ask yourself how well you'll feel when China demands the same, unquote. And that could go for Russia and any other country where Apple wants to keep selling the iPhone. Nicholas Weaver, a senior researcher at the International Computer Science Institute at UC Berkeley, said the following, quote, This completely undermines privacy overseas, and if the administration thinks this precedent wouldn't be used by China, Russia, and others, then they are in serious error, unquote. Heck, the White House recently told Beijing that it has major concerns uh, concerns about its new counterterrorism law, a vague piece of legislation that may require U.S. companies to hand over encryption keys and provide backdoor access to their computer systems. President Obama said, quote, this is something that I've raised directly with President Xi, and we have made it very clear to them that this is something they're going to have to change if they are to do business with the United States, unquote. If that now looks like we said to China, sorry, no, you can't make our companies do that. Only we can make our companies do that. Well, then you'd be correct. Alex Lindsay had a widely retweeted tweet, which was, quote, any communication slash tech CEO that isn't standing with Apple against the FBI is basically admitting that they have already been compromised, unquote. Others, especially government lawyers, have sided with the FBI Eileen Decker, a U.S. attorney whose Central California district includes San Bernardino, said the ruling is a matter of fairness to people who are mourning those killed. Quote, We have made a solemn commitment to the victims and their families that we will leave no stone unturned as we gather as much information and evidence as possible. These victims and families deserve nothing less. Unquote. However, Mandy Pfeiffer whose boyfriend was Shannon Johnson, who sacrificed his own body to shield his co-worker, Denise Pariza, saving her life was as he was giving up his own. Mandy initially sided with the FBI, but after researching the issue, she became undecided on the matter. She said to CNN, quote, I've done some more reading. I understand more the Apple side of it. I think it says a lot about America that the security this security only took place because nude photos of celebrities were hacked. So now you can't hack into a terrorist phone. I'm torn. I'm just torn. I want justice for all. 
I have both feet on both sides. I guess I'm just prepared for this to be in the news for a long time and for it to go to the Supreme Court, unquote. I myself almost feel like I am a Darby Shaw even mentioning this next thing, but since it seems very likely Apple's refusal to comply with the current court order will eventually make it to the Supreme Court, it just feels rather strange the timing of this and the passing of Supreme Court Justice Scalia, who most likely would have sided with the FBI and been the fifth vote against Apple. After coming up with that thought, I went and checked to see if anyone else had a similar thought, and I found an article from information technology reporter and expert Robert X. Cringely at cringely.com titled, The FBI v. Apple Isn't All the Way You Think It Is. In his article, he talks about a few key points. First, why does the government need Apple to create this tool? John McAfee has publicly stated he could do this in less than a month. And yes, McAfee is a whack job personally, but as Cringely states, technically McAfee is one of the smartest people in the world. And if he says he can do it, it should make you take pause about this whole issue. Cringely also goes on to mention the very recent appointment of Columbia University computer scientist Steve Bellavin to the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, a government outfit that oversees the activities at federal agencies, including the NSA, CIA, and of course, the FBI. Professor Bellavin is a co-author of the report, Keys Under Doormats, Mandating Insecurity by Requiring Government Access to All Data and Communications, which is a report published by MIT that takes the stance that the FBI is wrong in its position against Apple in terms of proper policy. Bellavin was obviously appointed by the current White House administration as he was just recently appointed. What Robert Kringley actually is proposing is basically a reverse Pelican Brief scenario. By the way, five bonus points if you caught the Darby Shaw mention a minute or so ago being a Pelican Brief reference. What Kringley presented was the following. Quote, what the heck is going on here? What's going on is that Justice Scalia is dead. Had Justice Scalia not died unexpectedly a few days ago, notably before the Apple FBI dust-up, and had the FBI pursued this case with it landing finally in the Supreme Court, well, the FBI would have probably won the case 5-4. Maybe not, but probably. With Justice Scalia dead and any possible replacement locked in a Republican-induced coma, the now eight-member Supreme Court has nominally four liberal and four conservative justice, but at least 1.5 of those conservatives, Justice Kennedy and sometimes Chief Justice Roberts, have been known to turn moderate on certain decisions. This smaller-sized court, which will apparently judge all cases for the next couple of years, is likely to be more moderate than the Scalia court ever was. So, if you are a president who is a lawyer for, and former teacher of constitutional law, and you've come over time to see that this idea of secret backdoors into encrypted devices is not really a good idea, but one that's going to come up again and again and again, pushed by nearly everyone from the other political party, and even from a few from your own, wouldn't right now be the best of all possible times to kind of sort of fight this fight all the way to Supreme Court and lose? Unquote. Again, a reverse Pelican Brief scenario and one that kind of makes sense into the email bag here. Hi, Rob, you may have already seen this, but below is a link to a blog post written by a guy who has worked with police on mobile phone issues in the past that outlines 
all of the things the FBI order would entail. It is a heck of a lot more than just unlocking one phone and moving on. And the point he makes about how the government would have to let this tool be made available to lawyers for the defense and thereby guarantee it gets outside of the walls of government is a great one. Hope all is well. Regards, Ryan. Well, thanks, Ryan, for the link to the post titled Apple, FBI, and the Burden of Forensic Methodology. It's written by Jonathan Zidazaski, who is, quote, considered worldwide to be among the foremost experts on iOS-related digital forensics and security, unquote. In his article, he talks about what the FBI did, could have done, and the implications. Quote, the FBI could have come to Apple with a court order stating they must brute force the pin on the phone and deliver the contents. It would have been difficult to get a judge to sign off on that, since this quite boldly exceeds the notion of reasonable assistance to hack into your own devices. No, to slide this by, the FBI was more clever. They requested that Apple developed a forensic tool, but did not do the actual brute force themselves. This was apparently enough for the courts to look past the idea of reasonable assistance. However, there are some unseen caveats that are especially dangerous here. What many haven't considered is the significant difference in the legal world between providing lab services and developing what the courts will consider an instrument. An instrument is a term used in the courts to describe anything from a breathalyzer device to a forensics tool, and in order to get judicial notice of a new instrument, it must be established that it is validated, peer-reviewed, and accepted in the scientific community. Not only is Apple being ordered to compromise their own devices, they're being ordered to give that golden key to the government in a very roundabout, sneaky way. What FBI has requested will inevitably force Apple's methods out into the open, where they can be investigated by government agencies looking to do the same. They will also be exposed to private forensic companies who are notorious for reverse engineering and stealing other people's intellectual property. Should Apple comply in providing a tool, it will inevitably end up abused and in the wrong hands." Some everyday average individuals are also speaking up and asking the White House to put a kibosh on the FBI's push to get Apple to create a backdoor. There is now a petition posted on the White House uh, site, uh, We the People site. Uh, This was posted on February 17th. By Saturday morning, there was over 8,000 signatures. By Sunday morning, there were over 11,000 signatures with a goal of 100,000 signatures by March 18th. In other words, a goal that should be reached and likely will have been reached by the time episode 384 comes out. From the petition, quote, the FBI is demanding that Apple build a backdoor to bypass digital locks, protecting consumers' information on Apple's popular iPhones. With the, we, the undersigned, oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand, unquote. When it hits its goal, that will merit a response by the White House. Congressman Ted Lieu of California's 33rd Congressional District, who also happens to be one of just a very small group of congressional lawmakers with a background in computer science, said the following, quote, forcing Apple to weaken its encryption system in this one case means the government can force Apple or any other private sector company to weaken encryption systems in all future cases. This precedent-setting action will both weaken the privacy of Americans and hurt American businesses. 
And how can the FBI ensure the software that it is forcing Apple to create won't fall into the wrong hands? Given the number of cyber breaches in the federal government, including at the Department of Justice, the FBI cannot guarantee this backdoor software will not end up in the hands of hackers or other criminals, unquote. But people are not just online to show their support for Apple and privacy. They are also getting in line, where protesters are preparing to gather in more than 30 cities globally, with more than 20 of those in the U.S. The protests are being organized by the Internet Rights Group Fight for the Future and are scheduled for this Tuesday, the 23rd, outside of Apple stores. Fight for the Future believes Apple's concerns are justified, and they are hoping the protests will push the Obama administration to take a stand against the FBI and how they are pushing Apple to break their product. This will also now most likely be combined with 100,000 plus signatures to the petition, which again should happen sometime before episode 384 comes out. Here are my closing thoughts on this. Let's say the FBI prevails and Apple is forced to create a backdoor into iOS and the FBI gets it in and finds some info and it uses that to kill or capture a few different ISIS operatives. It's not really going to make much, if any, impact on the fight against ISIS overall. And would not, in this situation, it actually be an overall victory for the terrorists? After all, their whole goal with any of their attacks is not just to kill people, but also kill and wound our freedoms and liberties. Terrorists are not looking to kill for sport. They are looking to kill ways of life by definition. That's what makes them a terrorist. And creating a tool that allows the government and rogue hackers access to all your data, that is a major attack on our liberties and way of life. Make no mistake about it. This is a key goal of terrorists, and it seems the FBI is playing right into their hands. And let's not think this tool will be handed over to, quote, FBI, unquote. It will be handed over to a Greg Varachek or a Joe Scardina or an Eddie Martin in the FBI. The FBI is not a robot. It is a collection of people. And then after the people in the FBI get a hold of this tool, some in the NSA will want it, and then some people in the Russian government will want it, and definitely those in the Chinese government will want it. Actually, there will be people in every government lining up for this tool. We're not talking hundreds of people. We're talking thousands of individuals. And not all of them are Ned Stark loyal to the end, but rather just regular humans. Most good, some not so much. And eventually a Greg or a Joe or an Eddie or someone else will pass this tool on to a person more like Littlefinger. And then all our security and privacy will be at risk. The government wants to frame this argument as a single case, a single event. But if that is true... Why did they go public on this? Why not do what Governor Kasich and Apple suggested and keep it private? Apple wants to frame this argument as being forced to break the security of all their devices and to create a master key that will eventually get in the hands of rogue nations, hackers, and oppressive regimes. If Apple is correct, it will not just be bad for their business, it'll be bad for everyone. Into the email bag. Hi Rob, just wanted to let you know that I ordered razors from Harry's for my husband and son last week as I heard about it so many times on your show. I tried to use promo code TI, but it didn't work, but I still ordered them anyway as Valentine's Day was coming up and the $5 wasn't that big of a deal. But I decided to email Harry's customer service because I wanted your show to get credit. They replied the next day, promised that TI would get credit, and gave me a $5 refund. The Truman set is nice. It comes in a nice 
gift box arrived two days earlier than their estimates. Both my husband and my son love their new razors. I was surprised how smooth my husband's face was after shaving with Harry's razors. I would definitely order their products again. Thanks for the great idea for Valentine's Day gift. And I really hope Harry's would sponsor TI again soon. Sincerely, Amico F. Well, hi, Amico, and thanks for the feedback and the comments about Harry's. And per your hope, well, it's fulfilled. Harry's is back this episode sponsoring TII. And folks, if you go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use promo code TII, you'll save $5 on your first order. I could talk about the convenience of ordering online and no longer needing to ask someone to unlock the display case or the great price or how great the aftershave lotion feels and smells. But rather, I want to talk about the most important thing, the blades. The blades are incredible. There are five of them, not three or four, but five. No cuts, no burn, and the best shave I have ever had at any price. That said, the prices are really low. Harry's Great Shave at a Great Price was not about luck either or magic on the bookmaking. Harry's went and found a German blade factory that was almost 100 years old, purchased it. Harry's owns the most important part of the razor, the blade. And by cutting out the middleman on both sides, that means they can keep the prices low to you. Once again, go to harrys.com now. Save $5 off when you enter the code TII with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and enter the coupon code TII at checkout to save $5 off your first purchase and start shaving better in 2016. Hey, Rob. It's Tim out of Chicago. Just calling in to recommend a contact duplicate cleaner app. Hands down, the only app I would recommend would be an app called Smart Merge. They have a free version. Don't bother with it because it will not uh, clean up all your contacts. It only does like a handful. You could try the free version just to see how it works, but I recommend just buying the $299 version Smart Merge Pro. It's made by a company called YT Development. You'll see the app icon is blue and has silhouettes of two white contacts, you know, two white heads on it. I've been using this app for a long time. Uh, I've used it for myself originally, and then I assist other customers um, usually at least once every couple weeks. I've been using this app to walk them through cleaning up their contacts. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Not only will it clean up your contacts, but it can also take contacts from Outlook or other places that won't automatically merge into iCloud, and you can manually push them into iCloud using this app. It's fan. Fantastic. So love the show, Rob. Have a great week. Tim, thanks for the voicemail feedback. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. In show 382, there was a request for an app to help consolidate duplicate contacts. I have used two apps that seem to work well for me. One, uh, sync.me, will locate dupes and merge your contact data in your contact list on the phone and social media. This may be a bit of overkill that you're uh, looking to accomplish. Delete Q is another great app for just locating dupes and merging or deleting them. I also use it for creating groups and bulk deletes of older contacts. Hope that helps. Regards, Larry D. Aram, I just listened to your recent episode where you asked about apps to use to delete duplicate contacts from your iPhone. I have recently used an app called Contacts XL 2016 by Jonathan Tubelo. I have included a screenshot of the app for confirmation. I recently used this app when I purchased my new 6S. 
I use it to migrate all of my contacts from my old 4S to the new this new phone. It has a feature that allows you to delete duplicate contacts. It worked quite well for me, for mine and my wife's phones. I recommend it. It was free when I got it, but I think it might be a purchasable app now. Regards, Tim in Atlanta. And again, that app was Contacts, Space XL, Space 2016. Hi, Rob. This is Jeff Hansen in Seattle again. Someone called about commingling his contacts with his wife. And is there a way to get rid of duplicate contacts? Kind of a roundabout way, but something that I've had to deal with before. I synchronized my contacts with Google. Again, there's Google. I'm in and out of Google, by the way. I synchronized my contacts with Google and managed the contacts with Google for a while. They have a decent contact manager, but they have a delete duplicate contacts and a merge contact, so you can easily manage them there. You can sync that through settings, and it works very well. Again, you got to get in the Google world. All right, so I thought I'd offer a solution. Thanks, Rob. Enjoy your show. Jeff, thanks for the recommendation. Back to the email bag. Hey, Rob. About a year ago, I was having issues with duplicate contacts. I used Contact Clean Pro, and it did the trick for me. I can't remember the procedure exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was straightforward. I didn't much like complicated fixes. Contact Clean, one word, Pro, the second word. And at its address, book, cleanup, and repair by Headlight Software. Warmest regards, Bob in Hamilton, Ontario. Thanks, Bob. Hi, Rob. In regards to getting rid of duplicate contacts, I use Google Contacts. All my iOS devices sync only with Gmail contacts, Google Contacts. And when you have too many contacts that have been duplicated, you sign in on your computer to Gmail, go to Contacts and find duplicates, and then delete merge duplicate contacts. Regards, Dean C. Hi, Rob. Was just listening to your latest episode of TII, and Skip had an issue with duplicate contacts for him and his wife. I was reading on Cult Mac, and they happened to mention an app that does just that called Cleanup Duplicate Contacts. Three words. I hope this helps out, and as always, keep up the great work. Regards, Mike S. from Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks, Mike. Hi, Rob. I'm running a response to the question about deleting multiple contacts. I wrote previously about transferring contacts using Google Contacts and syncing them between devices. I, too, had multiple contacts before I got my contact syncing worked working cleanly. For me, it came down to multiple sources for contact information that the iPhone was merging together between iCloud, iTunes, and contacts delivery created on the iPhone. It was a real mess. Here was my process. One, I disabled all contact syncing and settings, mail, contacts, calendars. Two, I set up a new sync to an empty account uh, at your favorite webmail service. I use Gmail because uh, they have some good contact merging tools. This will upload all your contacts into that service. Three, disable all contact syncing as before. Four, sync the contacts to another new service. I used Yahoo Web Service for this one. Five, once it's synced, delete them all from your webmail service and then resync. The iPhone should now be empty of contacts. Six, uh, use the contact merging feature in Google Contacts to consolidate your contacts. There are some nice features for choosing which fields to keep across multiple contacts as you do your merge. Seven, turn off all contact syncing again, and then only enable the syncing to your cleaned up contacts account. 
you should have clean contacts on your phone now with no duplicates. I found that the only syncing to one contact management service or system at a time is the key to keeping my contacts clean and to making clean transfers of contacts between services regards Charlie in Portland, Oregon. Well, thank you, Charlie, for that tips and that procedure. Hi, Rob. Regarding a listener that wants to remove duplicate contacts, I found a couple apps that claim to do this well. Clean up, one word, sweet, second word, from business contact solutions and smart merge. Um, there are others available. Uh, search for duplicate contacts removal in the app store and you will see them. I hope these suggestions help. Regards, Rich and Solahu UK. And then some other apps that were recommended from other listeners uh, were Simpler Contacts Pro, three words, which is five bucks. And then there's Contacts Duster, two words, which is free. And then SA Contacts, SA being one group, and then Contacts, the second part, which is $1.99. And I just want to thank everybody for sending suggestions and emails and voicemails. I didn't get them all in here on this. And we got actually one more voicemail. Let me leave, leave this part of it with one more voicemail on duplicate contacts. Hi, Rob. Dave in San Jose. I'm responding to episode 382, the request for a way to delete duplicate contacts in the uh, contacts app on iOS. And you can actually do this in the contacts app on OS 10 Macintosh. If you open up the contacts app on uh, OS 10 and look under the card menu, uh, you'll see that there is a look for duplicates function. And then when it finds duplicates, it offers up the uh, options to either merge or delete duplicates. So that does the trick. I've used it. I use it periodically to maintain my uh, contacts and weed out duplicates, and it works uh, works very well. So hope that helps, Rob. Take care. Bye. Dave, thanks so much for your feedback. We are now over 3,000 members on our Google Plus community and growing. Thanks to everyone that has joined, and thanks for the great posts. One new post in the Google Plus community that went up since the last episode came out was from Skip Sears, who posted the following, quote, I'm finding all kinds of free storage in cloud and cloud-based apps now that Microsoft and Google have provided their apps through the App Store. Seems like everyone is getting compatible with Apple and bringing down the costs in this process. Perhaps it's possible to do everything in the cloud with only a tablet or iPhone. What do you think? Unquote. And one of the replies was from Timothy Arnold, who said, quote, that depends on what exactly you want to do. Check email, be on social media, take photos, unless you need to seriously edit them. Do your banking, checkbook, register, budget sheets, etc. Watch YouTube and such. Then yes, you can do everything on the phone to tablet, unquote. And from Robert Spivak was, quote, with my iPad Pro and many apps paid and subscription, I can do almost everything that I used to do on my desktop or laptop Max, unquote. I think this one needs to, there's one thing I really need to ask is what info data do you always need without fail? Because sometimes the cloud is, well, more like a haze than a cloud. And when you don't have access to the cloud, is there some info you really could not live without for any period of time? If not, then the cloud will be fine for you. But for some, the thought of not having full access to all files, data, all the time is unfathomable. Personally, I am one of those that can't do to live without access to a lot of data and presentations and files. 
And I bet if I really, really, really tried, I could get them all up on the cloud and even get some local copies of the files I really, really need access to. So maybe the question is not if you can live completely on the cloud, but are you prepared to sit down and upload all the files you have to have to the cloud and then do the work and figure those things out and figure out which few files you actually need to have access to 24-7, 365 and get them on the device. When I try to look at my situation objectively, I feel like I just don't have the free time to really do what I need to do to work in the cloud. Since the last episode, there were also dozens and dozens and dozens of other new posts and comments in the TII Google Plus community, which is an Android fanboys free zone and spammer free zone. Yep, it's the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS. Folks, go to todayinios.com slash community to join in. And thanks to all 3,000 plus of you already in the community and contributing. Also from the Google Plus community was these comments per last week's episode, which I always pin at the top of the list. Um, from Myron Uker, quote, One thing that bothers me with the Era 53 was why disable the phone? Couldn't Apple just disable the Touch ID sensor and show an error message that it, it is suspected of being tampered with? That seems like a simple solution that doesn't hurt anybody, unquote. And from Barry Smitherin, quote, Still, it would be nice if you could simply validate your identity and have the phone start working again, even if Touch ID was disabled, until an Apple tech could make sure the th sensor was legit, unquote. Thanks, everyone, for the feedback, and also thanks to Dr. John and many others for the heads up on this one. Well, and this has to do with the Era 53 issue we talked about on the last episode and that was just commented on. Well, in the midst of all the noise around the Apple v. FBI issue, Apple made an, an update to iOS 9.2.1 that fixes those phones bricked by Era 53, and Apple apologized for that issue. From Apple, per the statement made to TechCrunch, quote, some customers' devices are showing connect to iTunes after attempting an iOS update or restore from iTunes on a Mac or PC. This report has an error 53 in iTunes and appears when a device fails a security test. This test was designed to check whether Touch ID works properly before the device leaves the factory. Today, Apple released a software update that allows customers who have encountered this error message to successfully restore their device using iTunes on a Mac or PC. We apologize for any inconvenience. This, has, uh, this was designed to be a factory test. It was not intended to affect customers. Customers who paid for an out-of-warranty replacement of their device based on this issue should contact AppleCare about a reimbursement. Unquote. Please note, this update will not, repeat, will not re-enable Touch ID for units where third-party Touch ID sensors were installed, nor should it, as the whole reason Apple had the check in place is to make sure nothing in the security chain is broken, and when a third-party sensor is installed, Apple cannot verify it is secure. They, the way it works now, where it simply shuts down Touch ID for a third-party sensor is how it should have always worked and was meant to work, according to Apple. So in a nutshell, if Touch ID is important to you, make sure Apple replaces your home button Touch ID sensor. If cost is a bigger issue, you can still get a third party uh, to repair it. You just will not be able to use the Touch ID anymore, which kind of sucks. It is good to see Apple make a change so quickly on this. FYI, it also appears that 
only those that had done updates via iTunes on their computers, so Error 53 issue originally, and if you had done an over-the-air update, you would not have had your phone bricked with the Error 53. Here is Apple's recommended steps for users to update to restore their iPhones, especially the ones with Error 53 brick. One, download and install the latest version of iTunes on your computer. Two, force restart your device. Three, try to restore your device again. Pretty simple. Apple advises users to connect or contact Apple support if they are still encountering Error 53 when trying to restore their iPhones. Well, the towels from Bowling Branch were a big hit on Valentine's Day. Thanks, Bowling Branch. And folks, as I mentioned before, Bowling Branch makes incredible sheets as well. We love our Bowling Branch sheets. Plus, the sheets from Bowling Branch are made from 100% organic cotton because organic cotton is incredibly soft. And the sheets get softer each time you wash them. You'll get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques would char- be charging for sheets of far lower quality. Go to BowlingBranch.com today for 20% off your entire order and use promo code TII. Again, that's BowlingBranch.com, promo code TII with bowl spelled B-O-L-L. These sheets are only sold online at BowlingBranch.com. You can't buy them in any stores. That is how they keep the pricing low and free of markups. But here is the best part. Don't take my word for it. Try them out for yourself for 30 days, risk-free. Bowling Branch is so sure you're going to fall in love with their sheets that they give you 30 nights to try them out. If you or your significant other don't love them for any reason, they will take them back and refund you without any hassle at all. Go online to Bowling Branch. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Save 20% off your entire order. Sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything plus free shipping, and all the products come beautifully packaged in their signature boxes. So folks, again, go to BowlingBranch.com today for 20% off your entire order and use promo code TII. Prior to this whole blow-up of Apple v. FBI over encryption and backdoors, there was an announcement that a new bill was being introduced in Congress by Rep. Ted Liu, Democrat of California, and Rep. Blake Farnhold, Republican, Texas, That is called the Encrypt Act of 2016. The sponsors of the bill said they are, quote, deeply concerned, unquote, that various bills surrounding encryption would be put in place by different states around disabling encryption or not allowing devices to be sold in those states without encryption. Essentially, this bill would kill all those stupid anti-encryption backdoor, pro-backdoor bills put forth in different states by clueless and incompetent state legislators, especially in New York and California, just saying. The future of the Encrypt Act of 2016, I would guess, is a bit fuzzy at this point, given the whole Apple v. FBI debacle. I would like to say, expect to hear more about this bill in the future, but in the current environment, in the winds of D.C., if they're not blowing quite right, it's likely to wither and die on the vine. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Hey, Rob, I hadn't heard about this one, but apparently you can brick your phone by manually setting the date uh, to Unix Day 0, January 1st, 1970. There are some evil people out there trying to kill your phone by tempting you with a throwback Apple logo. Beware, regards Tom Fowler. 
And hi, Tom. Thanks for the email on this. I, I thought about mentioning this on the last episode and probably should have. But in a nutshell, it goes like this. Don't change your iOS device's date manually back to the January 1st, 1970. If you do, your phone can be bricked. Why would you ever even want to change your date to January 1st, 1970? Well, it has something to do with the TV show Life on Mars. Or, no, wait, no, no, it doesn't. Um, but rather, it has something to do with a fake and evil claim that doing so will give you a hidden Easter egg of a retro 1970-style Apple logo. It does not. It just gives you a Pink Floyd 1970s, another brick-in-the-wall brick of an iPhone. Apple does claim a fix is on the way. That said, I will not get into exactly which iOS devices running, which versions of iOS are affected, or why. Just that I will say... The stove is hot, don't touch it. If you do touch it and change your date to January 1st, 1970, out of curiosity, I have zero day sympathy for you. More rumors on the rumors about the 4-incher. The latest is that the event to be announce the iPhone 5SE, the 4-incher, and the new iPad Air will be Tuesday, March 15th, with both devices being available on March 18th. The latest round of rumors has the 5SE body almost identical to the 5S, but inside it would have the latest A9 processor. The NFC chip for Apple Pay, support for always-on Siri activation, the iPhone 6 camera, but the ability to take live photos like the iPhone 6S. Color options will be the same as the 6S as well, i.e. silver and gold, silver and gold, and rose gold and space gray. The iPad Air 3 will supposedly include the smart connector, which would mean the option for a smart keyboard for it, plus support for the Apple Pencil. This would, of course, remain at the 9.7-inch size and would have the A9X processor like the iPad Pro, but it might also have a rear flash for better pictures because, yes, using a 9.7-inch iPad Air as a camera does not at all make you look like the dorkiest parents at your kid's basketball game. Just saying. And sticking with the latest round of rumors per Apple Watch, the March 15th event would only be about introducing new bands. Some thoughts on this via the email bag. Hey Rob, love the show. I have been thinking about the next Apple event coming up in probably next month. It has been said that we will see the next iPad Air, the iPhone 5SE, 6C, 7C, whatever they call it, Apple Watch bands. But in my prediction, I think we will also get an announcement about Apple Pay, meaning Apple will announce P2P payments and Apple Pay for e-commerce for websites. So we will get more than just uh, PayPal to choose from. Regards, Kevin in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, Kevin, thanks for the feedback. And yeah, they're going to give Apple Pay or NFC in the chips for the 5SE, let's call it that for now. Then yeah, you're expanding Apple Pay and that might make sense. So I, I think that's a good prediction. Let's see what happens next month, hopefully. Hi Rob, it's Dave in San Jose. I'm responding to the fellow in episode 381 who is sharing his iCloud account with his wife and they want to be able to continue to share music and books and videos and stuff that they buy from iTunes but they don't want to uh, share emails with each other. And um, it's very simple. I, My wife and I do the same thing. Uh, what they need to do is set up an, an iCloud account for the guy's wife and then she needs to set up her phone using that iCloud account. Then after the phone is set up using her iCloud account, 
she can go into the uh, iTunes and App Store settings and then put in her husband's iCloud account in there. So that way, her email and so forth will be separated from him, um, but they can still share music and videos and all the stuff they buy from iTunes and the App Store. So I hope that helps, Rob. Uh, Take care. Bye. Dave, thanks for the feedback. Into the email bag we go. Hi, Rob. I just received the Sakai remote cover for my Apple TV remote today and wanted to give my first impressions. It took two weeks and a day to arrive and came from the longest address I've ever seen. See the photo. That side, I love the cover. I ordered the black, and in my opinion, it complements the remote very well. It has nice rubbery texture that feels uh, sure in your hands, as well as having the humps on the back side, so it fits in your hands nicely. I installed Tether even though I probably won't need it. Side note, in order to install the Tether, you need a needle and thread to maneuver the small cord through the tiny holes. It worked quite well as far as the function. It does partially cover the trackpad, but not enough to be a hindrance. All in all, I feel the $12 was money well spent considering it will protect the remote and allow me to easily know which end to pick up. Regards, Shannon H. And Shannon, thanks again. That's a SIK remote, S-I-K-A-I, remote cover for the Apple TV. And it was 12 bucks, and you can find that, folks, if you Google it. Hi, Rob. This is Jeff out in Seattle. Stephen A. wanted to know how to poll or get voting from people. I do something similar with Google Forms. So you have to get into the Google world, but in there you can create forms and then send them to people. Uh, He can make the questions any way he wants. They work very well for me. Of course, it'd be nice to find a native Apple app, but this one does work well. Jeff, thanks for the feedback. But if anyone does know of a native app out there for sending uh, polling and forms, uh, give us a call. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or shoot an email to today at iOS at gmail.com. This week for a Kickstarter project, we have one that just launched. It is called GoClip. Two words. Quote, GoClip is a magnetic earbud organizer for your iPhone 5 or later earbuds to prevent it from turning into a big giant mess. Unquote. This project has until March 29th at 2.01 a.m. Central Time to be funded with a goal of 75 k So far, they have about 1K pledged. Like I said, it's uh, pretty early on. Pricing on this is $10 for one, or the option for $20 for two, or $30 for three, or $100 for 10, or even $500 for 50. Nice price break, guys. Delivery on this is slated for April 2016 if you buy one GoClip, and May if you buy two or more options. That said, given no price breaks and an April delivery for ordering just one, that's exactly what I did. I did back this project. Uh, for one pair at $10 because, well, I'm always fighting with my earbud cords that magically seem to get tied into a knot. I don't know how it is. I can just lay them down on the counter. Boom, they're a knot. I put them in my pocket. They're triple knotted. So hopefully this will help. Again, if you want to fund this one, search for GoClip, two words, at kickstarter.com or search for the link in the show notes for episode 383. For Shannon, a little Apple TV tip, go to settings, screensaver, Type and then select My Photos, and you can then select your own photos to be your Apple TV screensaver. After a while, you will find the Apple Aerial wallpapers, uh, well, it gets a bit redundant. And mixing it up with your own photos is a nice change of pace. Just 
preview which photos you have before, you know, the kids come in and see them. Just saying. Thanks to all that sent in links to this next story, which has to do with an 18-year-old girl kidnapped by her ex-boyfriend. Quote, Pennsylvania State Police were notified by the victim's mother that her daughter had been taken against her will by her ex-boyfriend on Tuesday, according to a statement. The victim's mother related that she had been receiving text messages from her daughter requesting help. The mother was able to track the victim's cell phone by utilizing Find My iPhone app, unquote. When saved by the police, and the girl was saved, the girl was found bound and gagged in a car. And so, once again, the day is saved, thanks to the Powerpuff Girls. Or, okay, in this case, it was actually Find My iPhone that saved the day. Hi, Rob, it's Kim in Salem, Oregon. And I think I know what TV show you were referencing with the uh, fillings in the person's mouth and everything. I think it was um, either an I Love Lucy episode or an interview with Lucy O'Ball where she talked about she was driving and she was able to pick up radio stations and her fillings or something like that. Anyway, hope you have a good day. Bye. P.S. I love the show. Oh, Kim, so close were you. But no, it was actually per what a few other people emailed in to say which it was from an episode of Gilligan's Island, Season 2, Episode 10, titled Hi-Fi Gilligan, to be precise. And in that episode, Gilligan was picking up the radio on his fillings after he got hit in the head or something like that, and then it was a typhoon coming in and the radio stopped working, so they needed to listen to Gilligan to hear what was going to happen. But anyway, yeah, I remember that episode quite well. Season 2, Episode 10, titled Hi-Fi Gilligan, if you can find it on any of your streaming services out there. Thanks to Alex from Walnut Creek, California, for today's Ask Siri suggestion. I'm tired. I hope you're not driving. I'm tired. Nothing wrong with being tired or sleepy. I'm sleepy. I can tell you where to find coffee. I'm sleepy. I'm a little sleepy myself. I'm sleepy. Listen to me. Put down this iPhone right now and take a nap. I'll wait here. I'm sleepy. That's fine. I just hope you're not doing anything dangerous. Well, I just want to say the next episode is probably going to be the week of March 1st. I am traveling this coming week. I will be at the Proclaim 16 show. It used to be the National Religious Broadcaster Show in Nashville, Tennessee. We are there as Libsyn, my day job, and I'll be exhibiting at that. If you happen to be at the show, please stop by the Libsyn booth and say hi. But again, I most likely won't be able to get a show out this weekend, given everything that all the research had had to go into the whole Apple v. FBI thing. This episode was pushed out anyway. So again, expect somewhere the week of March 1st for the next episode. And speaking of Lipson, I just want to do a good shout out. I know there's some podcasters that listen to this. Uh, Dave Jackson, School of Podcasting. He contacted me a few weeks back. Uh, me and Dave have been friends for a long, long time. And he said he had lost, just lost his job. And my initial thought was, yes. Now, that might not sound like a good friend to say that, but my thought was yes, because I was like, we need to hire Dave. And we did. And Dave is now part of Lipson. So Dave, welcome to the Lipson family. And I'm very excited to be working with Dave. I've been a friend with, of Dave's for over 10 years, 11 years now. So I'm very excited that he is on board at Lipson. Thanks again to Bowl and Branch for sponsoring this episode. Folks, go right now to bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L 
and use promo code TII and save 20% off the nicest sheets and cotton products you have ever owned with free shipping to boot. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or record your feedback and email to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Feedback can be a question or comment for something someone said on this episode, or it can be question or rant uh, you have about something else, an app, a product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS-related, it is welcomed. I'm always looking for new artwork to feature on the show that you've created on iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we are always looking for more music created on iOS device to play on the show. It's your show, and your feedback is greatly desired. And of course, please do send in your feedback about what you think on the Apple v. Um, FBI situation. Which side do you fall on? You know, you, I gave my opinion, which I know some people may not like. Um, some people will, but I went through a lot of research on this. I mean, a lot. You, know, you heard how much in the beginning, and that was just from 18 articles that I included, and there was another 20 articles that I, I read through on top of those 18 that I didn't include. But let me know your thoughts on the Apple v. FBI. I really would like to get some some of that on the next episode as well. Also, don't forget to check out our moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com slash community. Thanks again to Harry's for sponsoring this episode. Please go to harrys.com now. Save $5 off when you enter the coupon code TII with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And enter the coupon code TII at checkout to save $5 and start shaving better today. Don't forget to... Check out and download the free TII app, which is free to you. Search for TII in the iTunes App Store. It is the best way to consume the show and get push notifications each time a new episode is released. TII is fully voiceover friendly, of course. Go right now and download the TII app. And did I mention it's free? Oh, yeah, and it's on the Android App Store, too. I don't think I've ever really mentioned it, but it's out there as well. And folks, that is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I.
Hello? Hey, uh, we're just, hi, we're calling that, uh, today, iOS, because we love you. <laughs> yeah, we'll marry you. 